You'll see the title of my sermon. I'm all out of love. I'm so lost without you. Ario Speedwagon. Come on, we got some. Stephen was voted most likely to stay in the 80s. Where are you, Stephen? Air supply. Sorry. Hey, if you don't know this, I was not voted to stay in the 80s, even though I love the 80s. But uh, anyway, have y'all seen this new movie uh, where he's curled up in the lap of that monkey and he's singing that song? I thought that was pretty. uh, What movie is it? Old Dogs? Is that right? Yeah. I'm not recommending it. I've not seen it. Just funny. He was singing that song. Anyway, you guys going to have to lighten up a little bit. All right, first service, I'm telling you what, it was, uh, I needed, uh, we needed some electricity going through here now. Everybody is, is loaded up on turkey, and turkey puts you to sleep. Everybody's been eating too much, been laying around the house and watching football. Does that relate, men? No, I ain't saying nothing. I ain't wouldn't know. I watched that entire Florida football game from start to finish, and my wife let me know I watched that whole thing from start to finish. Then I don't get ESPNU. It's about to drive me crazy. UT's been on the last two weeks on ESPNU. And I just. Huh? I did. Tim Tebow. Let me tell you, they read Hebrews 12, 12 by mistake. And then they read Hebrews 12, 1 on national television. Tell me Tim Tebow's not impacting somebody. He is. I don't like Florida. But I like Tim Tebow. Well, that's a weird reaction. Let me just say, I like those that profess the name of Jesus. Huh? Yeah. Do you like those that profess the name of Jesus? Okay. All right. We're going to stand up and do jumping jacks. Did you ever go to camp and they make you do jumping jacks just to get your blood flowing? You know, get you going. Man, let's go. Come on. Y'all didn't come in here to warm a pew. We came in here to get charged up by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We came in here to to receive what God has for us, for what we've got facing us this afternoon, tomorrow, the next day. We're not in here to be passive. You're going to see from my sermon today, we're in here to be active. Everybody say active. Wonder twin powers. Activate. I keep trying. I'm going to relate to you at some point. I will. That was from my childhood. All right. Because we're going out on Monday, I felt the need for us to kind of take a little bit of a look at love. Take a little bit of a look at love. And we're not going to get finished today, but I hope to at least get us started so that when we go out on Monday that we're a little bit more prepared. And in the, in the uh, first few books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the parts of the Bible that we call the Gospels, Jesus... It seems that to have a strange attraction to the unattractive, a desire for the undesirable, and a love for the unlovely. And in these eyewitness accounts that we have of Jesus, we find that he spent a disproportionate amount of time with those that were labeled as the poor, the blind, the lame, the leper, the sick, the outcast, the downtrodden. The burden, the sinners, the tax collectors, the little ones, the last. Scripture says the least of these 
Now, I can't say that I've spent a disproportionate amount of time with those, but I've spent some time. You know, here lately in the last couple of years, we've taken a missions trip down to New Orleans. Been able to see firsthand in our country uh, situations that are going on of people that are in need. We also, as a uh, church, a, a half a year later, took a missions trip to Uganda. Many of you have taken missions trips. Many of you have been out and seen those that are hurting. But something that I found that when I went out, even though, you know, we sowed some finances, even though we handed out baskets of groceries, even though we fed and we were there to minister to the, uh, the orphanage and the um, Ugandan children at, um, at their school. And by the way, Peter and Phoebe Sozi will be here next week. I would encourage you. I believe God is doing something powerful in, in Africa and South Africa and at Church on the Hill. And I just encourage you, be here next Sunday. And we will have service Sunday night. He will preach again Sunday night, 6 o'clock next Sunday. So, but I found myself in these situations after coming back thinking, really, what good did I personally do? I went down there. Yeah, I saw it. We see it. But how much do we impact it? Even going on a missions trip. How much did I impact those kids in Uganda for God? How much did I impact those pastors? By the way, did you know that we have planted a church in Uganda? Church on the Hill planted a church in Uganda. And we planted it when Church on the Hill had nothing. We had nothing. We were able to plant their first church that Peter and Phoebe Sozi were a part of. And God blessed the church. But blessed Church on the Hill. We couldn't see it coming. But we knew that we needed to be a part of what was going on in Uganda. But for me, being in Uganda, I found that it was by mere emotion with no motion. Even though I went over there, it was emotion with no motion. It was a, having a sentiment without setting feet to it. And I think it's easy for us to conjure up a fleeting emotion of sympathy or pity. Why? Because it's easy. Why? Because we don't have to get our hands dirty. I think it's easy for us to sit on our comfortable couches... And let me tell you, when I say us, that includes me. Sit on our comfortable couches. And maybe for a brief moment, we see a commercial come on TV of the children in Africa. Or children, uh, children all over the world. Or people that are not being able to be preached the gospel. We see little babies with uh, uh, expanded out bellies where they're not getting enough food. And we might conjure up a little bit of sympathy for them. Maybe even send $5. But why? That's easy. That keeps us from getting our hands dirty. But motion, love with action, but emotion with motion. And now we're talking about compassionate love. And compassionate love is the crux of the entire Christian movement. And the only sign by which Jesus said that people will be able to recognize you as his followers. The only sign is love. Look at John 13 verse 34. It says, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How are we known as Jesus' disciple? By loving one another. One way that we can show Jesus that we genuinely love him, we're not showing the world that we love Jesus, we're showing Jesus that we love him. One way that we can show him that we love him is by loving our brother. When we're doing it to show somebody else love for the sake of you knowing I'm loving you, there's a hook in that. 
But when I'm loving you because Jesus told me to love you, that's how you'll know I'm one. That's how Jesus knows I'm one of his. Anybody here today? I think we need to learn to not just feel a fleeting emotion of love. I think we need to learn to love the way that we see God loved. And here's what I think you'll find. When I'm secure in the fact. Now listen to me. When I'm secure in the fact that God loves me no matter what. Then I can love me no matter what. And if I love me no matter what. I can love my neighbor. No matter what. Now, did you hear that? Let me say it again. If I can be secure in the fact that God loves me no matter what. Then I can love me no matter what. And if I can love me no matter what, I can love my neighbor no matter what. You know, but we have this picture of love. We have this picture that we have from God. And it's a different kind of love than what comes natural to me. As a man, as a human, I'm naturally drawn to things that I can see some sense of good in. Are you with me? There's something about it that makes me love it. And that's not bad. That's natural. We've been made that way. But we have this picture of love and I have naturally this picture of love of something that's got good sense in it. I love the Tennessee Vols. I do. I think that's known. I love the Titans. I love Cherry Garcia ice cream. I've been on a diet for the last year and I can't eat Cherry Garcia ice cream. Anyway, I love cheesecake. And I was at a restaurant the other day and I ran into Patsy Billings, uh, uh, Richie Billings' mom, and was just talking to her and just saying, oh, my daughter loves cheesecake. Now you make the best cheesecakes. You know what she did? Through them, they brought a cheesecake over here made by Miss Patsy. Let me tell you, I had to eat that. I had to. Boy, it was good. It just blessed me. I love ice cream. I love Cherry Garcia ice cream. I love cheesecake. I love my wife and four kids. Now, this basis of love isn't in any particular order. (laughs) Do you see what I mean? Oh, come on. First service. Second service. Yeah. All right. Elizabeth said, you delivered it better. Second service. I love my wife and kids. I love them. But all these things, there's a common denominator that I can see some sense of good, some sense of value in. That there's something in these that are attractive and appealing to me. Now, God's love, on the other hand, doesn't love us because of the good he sees in us. Catch this now. And it's not only good people that he loves. It's not because of what he sees in others. It's because of what he sees in himself. It's because he is so indescribably good that he loves all people. The good, the bad, the ugly, the sassy. It doesn't matter. God's love has no awareness of merit or demerit. God's love has no scale. God's love loves That's his nature. That's all it can do. And there's a verb in the Greek language, the Greek being the language that most of the New Testament was written in. And it's usually translated to be moved with compassion. 
And the Greek word to be moved with compassion is derived from the Greek noun meaning intestines, bowels, entrails, your guts. Now hang in there with me. To us as Americans, the seat of our emotion we feel like is in our heart. Where we say, I love you with all of my heart. That's where we that's where we see it coming from. But the Greeks would say, I love you with all my intestines. I love your guts. It seems funny to us, but to the Greeks, that's the seat of their emotions wasn't in their heart. It was in their intestines. It's where we have the phrase, what does your gut say? It was a gut reaction. It's where we get these phrases that says his heart went out to him or he was moved with pity. But none of our English words or phrases really captures the deep physical flavor of the Greek word for compassion. Compassion in the person of Jesus was so much more than a fleeting emotion of sympathy or pity. When Jesus was moved with compassion, he was moved to the core of his being. In fact, the Greek word for compassion is related to the Hebrew word of compassion, which refers to the womb of God. The womb of Yahweh, you know, the womb of God. Don't forget that we are trying to make a relation between love and Jesus. And if we can grasp how big, how big love is, the love that is experienced here on earth and how it moves God Maybe it will move us. Compassion is such a deep, central, powerful emotion in the person of Jesus that it can only be described as a movement in the womb of God. And we know from the book of Hebrews that we have a high priest in the person of Jesus who can sympathize with our every weakness. Why? Because he walked the same earth that we walked on. He faced the same trials and struggles and pains that you face. So you can know that when you're walking through things with brokenness and despair and pain, you can know that the God of all love hurts with you. He can relate. You think no one can relate? God can relate. He was physically beaten worse than you. He was treated worse than you. He was ridiculed worse than you. He was rejected worse than you. He can relate. He can relate. But he doesn't stop there. Know that God does more than just sympathize with our weakness. When we look at the picture that we have of Jesus in the gospel, every time the gospel describes Jesus being moved with compassion, it goes on to describe Jesus Doing something. Every time. When Jesus was there before the 5,000 and teaching them and he sees that they're hungry. He doesn't just shake his head and say. I'm thinking Arby's. He feeds them. He moves in compassion. He moves. Jesus was a mover. You know, we had uh, we had our Thanksgiving meal last Sunday night and still to this day, it is my, one of my favorite times of our church. Um, we have such great workers. We have such a great body that comes and families come and uh, the lost comes and 
we had thought that uh, a group from a couple halfway houses might come, an extra 30 or so people. And immediately somebody said, well, I hope we don't run out of food. We're not going to run out of food. Let's bless it. Let's ask God to send everybody that he wants in here and let him provide for it. We can't get we can't predict what's going to happen, but we can predict that if we trust God, all ends will be met. So what if we run out of food? I'd rather run out than not than have too much. I'd rather I'd rather hit it just right. But you know what? Bring him in here. Can you do you think that if we genuinely got on our face and prayed to God that whoever needs to come to our church, whoever needs to come on this Thanksgiving, whoever needs whoever we need to impact on Monday night, that he can handle that. And that he knows how much food we've ordered. God says, oh, wait a minute. Don't send them. Their order's a little short on mashed potatoes. Are are, are you with me? What did he do? He fed him. When we come to the story of Lazarus in the book of Luke, we come to that scripture. You know, when everybody, have you ever been asked this? If anybody ever asks you, what's your favorite scripture? And you just draw a blank. And what do you say? Jesus wept. Shortest scripture in the Bible. You ask any kid, you're wanting them to memorize scripture and they can't remember. What scripture do you remember? Jesus wept. But it says here that when Jesus wept, that he didn't just stand there and cry. What did he do? He moved. He went and raised him from the dead. When Simon Peter cuts the ear off the guard, the Roman guard coming to arrest Jesus, Jesus didn't say, well, that was stupid. Wouldn't have done that. What did he do? He picked up the ear and put it back on. Now, I'd like to see that. Wouldn't you? Now, maybe you'd say, look, I can't stick an ear back on somebody or I can't raise somebody from the dead. Well, let me tell you something. It's happening in Africa. It's happening in America. People that genuinely believe that they are filled with the Holy Ghost, that Jesus Christ is manifesting themselves in him, are seeing the dead raised, are seeing the healed, the sick healed. But maybe you say, look, I just can't stick an ear back on somebody. You know what? If an ear was laying there, I'd probably feel a little funny, too, but. God gives me that chance, I'm going to stick it on there. I can't, I can't sew it back on. I can't do anything. It's going to have to be God. I mean, God? Why not air doing? Do, do you hear me? We see somebody sick on the side of the road. Why not air doing? Let God figure out the results. We can't heal the person. Praise God, the pressure's off. I can't heal you. <laughs> but who works through me can. And it's, it's up to me to, to, to uh, be the vessel. God's got to work through a vessel. God wants to work through you. It's okay. I connect to you, God. I connect to this sick person. Bring it. Is that so much to believe? What exactly are we doing here? Either we believe it all or we don't believe any of it. This happened in first service too. What is going on? Is it me? I think it's me. It's okay. It's okay. I've got a, I've got a few passionate people out there. Get passionate with me. Woo! 
God put his ear back on. How can we react? Pastor, I don't feel like I'm ready to stick an ear back on. I don't feel like I'm ready to raise somebody from the dead. Well, let me ask you, when you see the, the lonely elderly wo- woman, widow, do you just conjure up a fleeting emotion of sympathy or pity? Or what could we do? We could go to her house. We could cook her a meal. We could mow her grass. What is that? That is compassionate love. You're getting nothing out of that. But you're giving. When we see the down and outs in our town that we live in, do we conjure up a fleeting sentiment of sympathy or can we set feet to our sentiment, get plugged into the local church and all the opportunities that we have in our area? Just in our church, we have so many ministries, not church on the hill ministries, but so many connected ministries that we could be impacting our city. From the Mustard Seed Ranch to uh, um, uh, Randy. Not Crisis Pregnancy Center, but yes, Crisis Pregnancy Center. Heart of the Cumberland. Um, Ollie. New Horizons with Teen Mania. That's just a start. Randy and Billy Pigman going to the, y'all know this? They go to the uh, nursing home every single Sunday morning and conduct church over there before, before Sunday morning service. That's just a start. The Dismas House. The Genesis House. Crisis Pregnancy Center. That's just a start. Yet we just sit in our pew and get a little bit sympathy, a little bit of sympathy when they come in here and speak and then go home and do our normal thing. Listen, I'm preaching to me, too. I'm not we're not alone. OK, have I offended you yet? I, oh, that sounded like a yes. OK, it's all right. It happens. It happens. Let's keep going. Look what it says in first John three. It's going to get good. First John three seventeen. if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Now, don't let us love with words or tongue, but in actions or truth. As a parent, I have so many teaching moments. That my kids need their dad and their mom to stop for a minute and to teach. And it's so easy just to let it go. But there was a situation this week with, with my kids. And, uh, you know, have you ever gone down this road and you've talked to them about it, something that they need to change? And, you know, they walk through it. Yeah, daddy, I'm sorry. I'll try to do better. And then the next day you're, you're there again. Okay, daddy, you're right. I'm sorry. I'll do better. Then the next day you're there again. You know what? They're not bad kids. Sometimes it just takes us a little bit to get it. As adults, sometimes it takes us more than one time to get it, right? God loves us. He's not going to give up on us. He's going to keep taking that time with us until we get it. And my job is not to get frustrated. Hang in there. Encourage. Discipline. Bring them on. But finally, after about the 10th time, I finally said it again. What do you think about this? They say, I'm sorry, Daddy. I'll do better. And I finally said, enough. Enough. I'm ready to not hear that I'm sorry, I'll do better. Because the history's shown nothing's happening. I said, let, let me talk to you about me being your daddy. Let's say I sit here and I tell you every single day, I'm going to be a good daddy. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to be your coach. I'm going to be your cheerleader. I'm going to be uh, your tutor. I'm going to help provide for your piano lessons and for if you want to play ball or if you're in dance, I'm going to provide, I'm going to be a good husband to my, a good husband to my wife. I'm going to love on her. I'm, I'm going to be a good daddy. 
but then I go out and I'm terrible to you. I never show up. I treat her like dirt. What good does what I just said to you do? None. That's what this is saying. Don't love with words. Love with actions. Love with action. It's what I finally said to my child. I'm tired of hearing you say you're going to change. Now I'm ready for you to change. God says, don't love, don't, don't love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Are you with me? Look at the story of the Good Samaritan in the book of Luke. Jesus is having a conversation with an expert in the law. Yeah, it's already a scary thing to be talking to Jesus and to be the expert of the law. Something something doesn't fit, right? Are, are, are you with me? I, I am no expert when I'm talking to Jesus in any form. I'll keep going. And this expert looks at Jesus and asks, how do I inherit eternal life? Well, what does Jesus do? He flips the question. And I love that. It's just, it just makes you think. What does he say? He says, what does the law say? And this expert in the law says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. What does Jesus say? You hit the nail on the head. That's it. That pretty much sums it up. Then the expert goes on to ask one more question. And I don't know what the motive was behind this question, but it was a good question. He says, who is my neighbor? That's a pretty good question. God says, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who is the neighbor? And Jesus goes on to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. This man walking down the road gets mugged, gets beaten, gets robbed and left for dead. And here comes two religious leaders, a Levite and a priest walk by and see the man. Now, the Bible doesn't say this, but you've got to know that they felt some form of compassion or sympathy. You know, even here in our town, if you go to 111 and 40, you'll see somebody standing there for a handout. Are you moved with compassion? You should be. Have I ever given money? No, I haven't. What's the right thing to do? I don't know, but I can tell you I'm failing every time I go by there. What do we do? We turn our heads. We strike up a conversation with somebody in the car with us so that we don't have to make eye contact with them. Something's wrong. I'm not saying you got to give them a dollar every time. That may not be the answer either, but there is an answer. But these two guys are walking by, this priest and this Levite, people that should know the right thing to do. And what do they do? They set motion to their emotion and they walk off. They fail. They flunk the test. Then the Samaritan comes along and sees this man in need. He has enough awareness outside of himself. Sets his feet to his sentiment, bandages the man's wounds, gives him some food and a place to stay. Jesus looks at the expert and says, who do you think was a neighbor to that man? When we choose to love, we choose God's way. We are never more like God than when we act on love. So where do I start? Do I go to Africa? Do I go and try to feed every starving child in Africa, giving them food and water? Great thing to do. But why not start a little bit closer? Okay, we'll go to all the down and outs in our city. Try to give them food and water. Is that what we do? It's great. Let's try to get a little bit closer again. Maybe you invite over all the people that you know who are outcasts and have no friends and have nothing. Great idea too. But let's try just a little bit closer. 
Let's look at Matthew 25. It says, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Sometimes we skip the most obvious, but not always the easiest question to ask. What if you discover the person that needs the love, that needs your love the most, the one to whom your love would be most meaningful? What if you found out that the least of these was you? Many of you here are not poor in the sense that you lack economic means. Many here are poor in spirit. And looking at that phrase from the greatest commandment, it says, love your neighbor. Sometimes we forget to finish it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. I can't love you if I don't love me. Before I'm asked to show compassion to my brother and sister's lives in their hurting and their suffering needs, I'm asked to receive compassion in my own life, in my own hurt and suffering and need. I can't be compassionate to you if I can't be compassionate to me. You know, a good story, a good uh, analogy of this that it's just dawned on me is when you get, when you're on an airplane and they talk about losing cabin pressure. What do they say to do? Get it over your face first. Before we go out and try to love somebody else. You can't save your child if you're dead. You can't save your neighbor. You can't help your neighbor if you're dead. He's saying to love your neighbor as yourself, given the impression that you do love yourself. But I can't love you if I don't love me. Because typically we view other people based on the way we view ourselves. When I'm hardest on myself, I'm most critical of other people. When I'm judgmental of myself, I'm hardest on other people. You know, I think we're kind of getting to the, to the center of the matter. I can't truly love myself when I truly don't know God. And I can't truly love myself when I truly don't know God. Now, if you've accepted Christ, but you're still struggling accepting yourself, I'm not questioning your salvation. But I am here to question your picture of God. Because here's the deal. If we love others, if how we love others is based on how we picture ourselves, then how we love ourselves is based on our picture of God. If we love others, if how we love others is based on how we picture ourselves, then how we love ourselves is based on our picture of God. My kids, I've got four of them. As their father, I have an opportunity, a responsibility to model for them what true love looks like. As I continue to show my unconditional love for them as best as I can, they'll begin begin to be secure in the fact that I love them no matter what. And as they watch me love my wife, and as she and I Show them how to love other people. They will learn to love other people. As children of God, we have the model of love in God the Father. And in the Bible, we see this picture of God embodied in the flesh, in the person of Jesus. And as we continue to get this picture of God, this picture of love, and as we continue to imitate that kind of love, our love will be evident to our neighbors. Can you see that as we go out Monday, we need a proper picture of God? 
You may say, Pastor, it would take us a year before we had that picture right. It'd probably take us longer than that. But God will move where we are. God's ready to rescue us right where we are. You may get out here and somebody may just absolutely spill their guts to you. And you say, man, I can't handle this. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You may be the only one that can. Just cry with them. Just encourage them and pray for them. Pastor, I don't know how to pray. You just say, Lord Jesus, help us. Help us with this situation. We don't know the right thing to do. And here we are at the parade. Here we are. What do we do, God? Lord, all I know is I love you and I know that you hold the universe in the span of your hand. You know what? Prepare yourself. Get you a couple scriptures in your pocket. Get you a couple healing scriptures. Get you a couple delivering scriptures. Maybe we'll have some printed up for you. I don't know. That's not cheating. That's preparing. God's, have you ever watched, uh, and I'm going to get off track and I'm already out of time. Have you watched uh, Facing the Giants? We got to prepare for rain. It's not raining yet, but we better prepare so that when the rain does come, we got seed in the ground. Pray, go out and let's impact our city. One piece of trash at a time. We have this model. And as we imitate God's love, it will become evident to our neighbors. And when I'm secure in the fact that God loves me no matter what, I can love me no matter what. And if I can love me no matter what, I can love my neighbor no matter what. And I think the fact that that the image of God so shakes us to our core. I think that's why scripture is so strong in saying how badly we need to seek him. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to pick this back up on how, what is our picture of God? And I believe that we have an opportunity to show a picture of God Monday night. It's been, it's, it's really taking you something to go back and sign up. It's going to take you a little bit more to show up. I encourage you, show up. Show up. We're not going to be all that organized. I'm a little bit afraid of putting my organized stamp on it that I will miss it. We're going to be organized, but we're, it's just going to be picking up trash and loving on people. What else? What other, what instructions do you need? If you see trash, pick it up. And just be there to shake hands and just say, hey, I love you with all my heart, all my guts. <laughs>